Morning, church. You know, I was listening to that song this morning as the team was practicing it, and then today as they were singing it. And every every time I think about that song, it's just it's just an overwhelming song to me. And and one of the things I love about that, that song is the original story of the hymn that was written. It was written by a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford, and he actually wrote it while he was on a ship going to try to catch up with his wife because his wife and daughters had gone ahead of him on a vacation across the ocean, and the ship had sank. All of his daughters had drowned, and his wife had sent him a message, just a little, you know, back then it was a telegram, and said, all is lost, come quickly. And so he's on this ship, and he gets to this point where the captain actually pulls him aside and says, listen, this spot right here, we know the spot where your family's ship sank, and it was right there. And so he wrote this song while he's staring out at the ocean at this place where his daughters had just died. He doesn't know anything else. He doesn't, he doesn't have a great understanding of what's next or exactly how much damage or how much has been lost. But he knows he's lost a ton in this moment. And as he's looking out there, he pens those words, it is well with my soul. And I love that because a lot of times we think about things being well with our soul or things being well in our life, being based on our circumstances. But I just love this moment of this man who looks out and goes, no, my God has me. No matter how bad this circumstance may look right in front of me, it is well with my soul because my soul belongs to Jesus. And I know where my family is going. I know where I am going. I know in whom I have believeth, and I know he is able. That's just an amazing, amazing moment. And today, I want to unpack a little bit more of that. I want to start a study today of the book of 1 Peter. And the reason why I love the book of 1 Peter is because Peter is writing to a lot of people who are in the midst of a storm. In the book of 1 Peter, Peter is writing to people that have a lot of crazy stuff going on in their life. He's written... He begins by referring to them as exiles. Later he calls them aliens and strangers because the fact is that they have been scattered all throughout the Roman Empire because how, how the gospel would be spread in that day a lot of times was a persecution would happen in this town and so the Christians would pack up and go to this town and then the Holy Spirit would do something amazing and they would start seeing amazing things happen and then something would happen and then they'd move over here. And before you know it, just by persecution itself, there was this spread of the gospel moving everywhere. And so now these people feel scattered. They feel alien. They feel like they don't quite fit in. Anybody ever feel like you don't fit in in life? He, he's talking to people who, who feel like everything in there that they believe is antithetical to the culture that's around them. He, he's talking to these people who feel a little bit discouraged. They feel downtrodden. They've been persecuted. And the fact is that as Peter is writing this, He's probably writing shortly before the, the, the fire of Rome in 54 AD. Excuse me, 64 AD. And then that is the moment, if you don't know what that, that, that's this moment that really sets off a lot of things in the world. Nero, of course, now that Christians have come through and look, we look back, you know, everybody kind of blames Nero for that fire. But one way or another, we know that there was a fire that started and Nero, the, the emperor of the time, turned and decided to blame the Christians. It started this huge persecution. And so one thing we know that as, as Peter is writing this, he, there is a storm that's brewing on the horizon. 
And we know that things are about to get a lot worse. And so Peter is writing to this group of people, which is a broad group. And he's trying to give them some truth. He's trying to give them some encouragement to get them through the storm. Whatever your storm is today, whatever thing may be going on in your world, one of the things I have found is that discouragement is a natural part of life. I don't know if any of you ever felt discouragement, but discouragement is a universal disease in our world, and it's highly, highly contagious. And so Peter is is especially giving some truth in this first chapter of 1 Peter, and he's really giving them some key core truth for those who are discouraged, those who feel like they don't quite fit in, those who feel like things are not quite going their way, those who feel like... Life is against them in a sense. He's giving them some core universal truth that is so important for us today. I don't know if anyone can benefit from that, but I know I can. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's just talk to God. Father, I just want to thank you for the way your word continues to speak into our life. And God, today for anyone who may be in the midst of a storm, who may be struggling today, who may be limping into church. God, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would just revive them and work in them, that you remind them of how loved they are by you, and that ultimately, God, for all of us, that we can trust you so much that in everything that happens in our life, we can continue to sing, it is well with our soul, because you have our soul. You are our God today. God, we're so thankful for who you are and what you're doing. We cannot wait to open your word up together. We praise you in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. You know, when I was about 12 or 13 years old, I had this moment where I went to Boy Scout camp. And while I was at Boy Scout camp, they had this event going on called a a mile swim. And I, I was on swim team, so I had done a lot of swimming. I had swam a mile at different points in time, but never just all together. And so I decided, all right, let's do this. Let's go out and do this mile swim. And so I get out there, and, and I start doing the, and they kind of, you know, they, they make you build up to it throughout the week. And so it's at the end of the week, and I go out to do this mile swim in open water. It's, it's very, very murky. And I had this moment where, you know, you ever get in the middle of something, and you're like, why am I doing this? Right? I get that way almost every time I do any type of physical exercise. Right? And so I get in the middle of that moment right then. But the difference between swimming and running is when you're running, you can just stop running. When you're swimming in open, murky water that's above your head, see, I'm, I'm not a floater because I was pretty skinny back then, unlike now. And, and so I was definitely not a floater. I was a sinker. And so all of a sudden I have this moment where I realize, like, I don't have a choice. I kind of have to keep swimming. Like, I, I have no choice but to keep going forward. And so finally I got into this place where I was regretting my life decisions, but I was continuing going, and I just knew I could not stop. It was not an option. I had to keep going. And so I got into this rhythm where I would go down, and I would do my stroke, and then I would come up, and I would breathe in some oxygen, And I would look out, and I had this point across the lake that I was going to. And so I would just zoom in on this point. And every time I would come up, I would breathe in some oxygen, and then I would check on my point and see where I was and see if I was going left or right of it. And in the same way, what Peter's kind of doing in this first chapter is he's giving some truth 
for these Christians to breathe in some of God's truth and then giving them a waypoint to kind of focus on. He's saying, listen, when you're going through this stuff, just keep going, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Anyways, he says, listen, just keep going, just keep going. Here's some truth to focus on. Here's some key things to remember. And so today I want to talk about these three things in 1 Peter that we see in 1 Peter chapter 1. If you have your Bibles today, I'd love it if you open up or if you have your phones as well to click over there. And all throughout this series, we're going to walk through 1 Peter. We're going to start in 1 Peter 1 today, but we're going to walk through over the next few weeks looking at the book of 1 Peter. And so I just encourage you, that as you're opening up your Bibles at home, man, dive into 1 Peter. It'll really help us as we continue to unpack this together. But I want to read this together with you in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive his salvation which is ready to be revealed in the last day for all to see. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith, is, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, though you have never seen him, seen him, though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious and inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. I want to unpack a couple things in here that I think are so key in those moments of discouragement in our life, in those moments in our life where we just kind of want to give up, where we don't want to keep going, we're not sure if we can just make it another step, if we can't swim another stroke, we can't run another step, we can't do it one more time, we can't get up one more day. I want to give us some key truths to remember in our life. And the first one is this, we find it in 1 Peter 2, it's the fact, or 1, 2, excuse me, it's the fact that God has chosen me. Turn to someone around you right now and say, I'm chosen. It says in 1, 2, that God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. See, did you know your salvation is not an accident? The fact that you have a relationship with Jesus is not a fluke. The fact is God chose you and chose to have a relationship with you. In fact, it was God's idea from the very, very beginning. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. The fact is, 
we can choose to reject that relationship, but it was never our idea to have a relationship with God. It was God who said, listen, I see that they're far from me and I'm going to send my son to die on a cross and I'm going to send my spirit to work in them and, and continue to make them realize that they need a savior and I'm here to be that savior. See, we serve a God that doesn't just talk about how much he loves us. You, you, ever, you ever been around a parent that like talks about like, like how much they love their kids, but then like they're never around their kids and you're like, man... That's kind of weird. Like they talk about it a lot, but God isn't that kind of parent that's like, oh yeah, I just I just love him so much. Have you gone to see him? No. Have you done anything for him? No. God's the kind of guy that says, listen, I love him so much, I'm not just gonna send a postcard. I'm gonna send my son to die on a cross for them. Like, this is the God that puts hands and feet and flesh and blood to it. And why is that encouraging to us? Because the fact is. When it comes to that kind of love, that kind of choice in our life, do we deserve that? Anybody? Yeah, two of you. The rest of you deserve it. That's fine. But for the two of you, you're with me. You understand? We don't deserve this. We're not good enough, but he chose us anyways. And on what basis? Well, it's in verse 3. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. If you're, if you're circling things in your Bibles, that word mercy is such a great one. The definition of it is the free, unmerited favor of God. See, the reason this is so encouraging is because the fact that God chose you, the fact that God wants to have a relationship with you, the fact that no matter how much is going on in your life, you have a God that said, no, I want them. I want him. I want her is the fact that it's not based on your performance but it's based on God's mercy. We can't earn it and we'll never, ever, ever deserve it. God simply said, I want you. And that just blows my mind. I don't know if you ever had a moment in life where you're just like, man, I just wish I could just start everything over. You know, one of, one of my favorite shots in golf, I actually have a pretty good one of these, it's my best shot in golf, is my mulligan. My, my mulligan is excellent, and I give myself one mulligan every single hole. If you're unaware of what a mulligan is, it's that moment where you hit a bad shot, and then you pull that second ball that I always keep with me because I know I'm going to hit a bad shot, and go, oh, I'm going to take one more, or three more. just depends. I'm out there to have fun. But what I love about that is in the same way, in that moment, God gives us a mulligan by giving us a new life in Jesus Christ. And the fact is, some of us may be barely hanging on by a thread. Some of us may feel like we just can't go on another step. But, you know, I remember the moment when I first got around a big group of kids. And I remember playing with these kids, and I remember they started picking teams. Anybody ever had that moment where you start picking teams on a playground? And what, what is the biggest fear that you have in your life? That your last... Nobody wants to be last. And then once you're on the team, you're like, okay, great. Now we're going to start focusing on how we're going to win. You start trying to strategize. But even then, you just want to be picked. I was the worst kid out there, but I just didn't want to be last. And the thing is, the same thing is true in our life, that we so desperately want to be picked in our life. So many people just wish they could be picked. They, they, they just want people to notice them. They just want to understand that they're wanted, that they're chosen and so few people, I think, truly understand that they've been chosen, they're loved, they've been picked by God. God's already said, listen, I want you. 
And so in those moments when we start to get discouraged, when we start to feel down, we start to feel like we're not good enough, we start to feel like we can't go on another step, we feel like maybe I'm not good enough for God. The fact is, you are chosen, you are loved, and God sent his son now to die for you. Not because of anything that you've done, but because God loves you that much. That's some good news, church. The second thing is this, that God has chosen me, but then the second thing is so important to remember is that God's working on me. Turn to someone around you and say, listen, you're not finished baking yet. <laughs> See, in this day, we'll go back to 1 Peter 1, 2. He says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. See, when people translate that word made, the Holy Spirit has made you holy. It's one of those that can be can be kind of translated as either a, pres- a, a past tense, like God made you, it's done. And it can also be translated as kind of a present tense. God is making you holy, which is interesting because it says in Hebrews 10, 14, that God has made perfect those who are being made holy. Holy, And whenever I, I see verses like that, I, I think it comes together in this place where what, what's being talked about here is this idea that you have been made spotless and blameless before God by the blood of Jesus. But even now, God is catching you up to that by making you holy, by sanctifying you through his Holy Spirit. God is continuing to work on me. We are God's masterpiece. Fact is, though, that we don't make ourselves holy or good enough. A lot of people who I know who are discouraged in their Christian walk are discouraged in their life. They're discouraged because they've been trying to do the job of the Holy Spirit, and they're discouraged that they're not seeing the fruit of the Spirit. But they keep forgetting that the Holy, the, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't say the fruit of the good Christian or the person who prays enough or the person who does this enough or the person who serves enough or the person who reads their Bible enough. It says it's the fruit of the Spirit. And so often we try to produce the fruit of the Spirit without understanding that it's God's Holy Spirit that works in us. It's God that works to make us look more and more like Jesus. Our job is allow Him to allow Him to work in us. You know, I had an amazing moment last week as I was driving out to Rapid City with my family. As we got close to Rapid City, it started to rain pretty heavily on us. It was pretty heavy rain, pretty obvious we were being rained on, very, very loud on top of the vehicle. And I got a little bored, and I, one of the things I love to do with my kids, I, I'm a pretty great, uh, pretty great practitioner of dad magic. Dad magic is, you know, those stupid magic tricks that don't work on anyone but a four-year-old. And so I decided to pull one of those out. We're driving down. We start coming to an overpass. And all of a sudden, I kind of shout out to my son, hey, son, watch this. I can make the rain stop. And so just as we're coming to the overpass, I go, watch this, ready, rain, stop. And of course the rain stops for a brief second. Now I expected my son to kind of just go back down and start watching his Kindle and move on with life. But I look in the rear view mirror and my son's eyes are like this. Like he is mind blown. And so then he goes, my turn, my turn. Oops. 
I'm like, okay, try it, buddy, hoping for an overpass to come into sight so that I can help him out. And he goes, rain, stop. Rain, stop. Rain, stop. And if you know my son, he's a little bit emotional. And when things don't work exactly how he wants, he gets very, very frustrated. So I hear his voice just getting more and more pitiful. He's like, rain, stop. Rain, stop. And then I hear him go, Dad, I need some help. (laughs) Oh, it just broke my heart. And I'm like, come on, I need another overpass. Come on. Of course, by the time we get to another overpass, the rain had already stopped. And the moment was gone. But that moment kind of stuck with me because I think we do that a lot in Christianity too. We see people do something and, and we see this, this thing that happens and we start to attribute it to the person instead of understanding what's actually making that happen. Like, like for instance, in the same way that the overpass kind of made me look like a magician to my son, it's the Holy Spirit that makes me look more and more like Jesus. And we see people who have life change in their life, and we think the way to do it is kind of go, okay, sin, stop. Discouragement, stop. Pain, stop. And we even see people that it seems like they just will themselves into looking more like Jesus. But the fact is, you can't will yourself to have more peace. You can't will yourself to cast your cares on him and have less anxiety. You can't will yourself to look more like Jesus. The only way is by God's Holy Spirit. The thing is, God has chosen to restore us into the person that he's created us to be, but it's only by his Holy Spirit. And sometimes I see people getting discouraged, they're getting downtrodden, because they're not seeing the life change in their life yet. But one of the key words in that phrase is that word, yet. The thing is, the Holy Spirit is working on me. And so in those moments when we feel like we're not quite good enough yet, the key word there is yet, because it's going to happen. There's moments in my life where I get down on myself and I'm like, man, I'm not as good as I want to be yet. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not the kind of father I want to be yet. I'm not the kind of pastor I want to be yet. I'm not the kind of husband I want to be yet. But there's times the Holy Spirit just has to remind me, yeah, yet, because you're not the one doing the work. Why don't you shut up and let me drive? See, then the, the verse continues on in 1 Peter 1, 2. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's two things that the Holy Spirit does. He changes us to obey Jesus. That's what we call salvation. And he cleanses us. It says here, he sprinkled us with his blood. That's sanctification. See, when you allow God to work on you, he changes you and raises you up to be more and more like him. The result of that is found in the rest of the verse. He says, may God give you more and more grace and peace. Now, what is grace and peace? Grace is the gift of God that we don't deserve. It's the thing that we need to keep going. It's God's gift of love and mercy and fruit in our life. And the second thing is peace. You know, Jesus said in John 14 that I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you isn't like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled or be 
afraid. See, the peace that Jesus gives, he says, is different than what the world gives. Because the thing is, in, in our world, peace is a position. Like, if I can just get to this position or this place, I can have peace. Like, if I can be on a beach with my, sand, with my toes in the sand and no one bothering me, that's what I consider peace. The problem with that is, eventually you got to go back to work. Or eventually you got to get up and do something. Or eventually your kids find you. I mean, there's, there's something that happens that breaks your peace. But what Jesus is talking about here, and what Peter is talking about here, this gift of peace, is the fact that peace is not a place, it is a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And the closer that I walk to Him, the more that God works on me, and His Holy Spirit sanctifies me and draws me closer and closer to Him. It does not matter what thing is going on in my life. It is well with my soul. I have a peace that surpasses all understanding because it doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter what's going on. It's the fact that I'm walking with Jesus. It's not about where I'm at. It's about who I'm with. And the fact is, even as things get harder and harder in my life, I have a God who is working on me to look more and more like Jesus and to rely on him more and more. And my God can actually use these things that are happening in my life to make me better to make me stronger as it says in verse 7 he says these trials will show your faith genuine it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold through your faith it is your faith is far more precious than just mere gold so when your faith remains strong through many trials it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when jesus christ is revealed to the world see what peter is revealing here is that the, the purpose of problems, not the cause of problems. God doesn't cause my problems. God is not the, the author of the issues in my life. But God can use all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so the purpose that, that God can often bring out of problems is to refine us. Peter references the, the refining of gold. You know, when we look at the process of refining gold, what they do is they take gold and they heat it up to a point where every impurity, everything that is not pure and precious in that gold is eventually revealed or destroyed. And in the same way, in our life, when things start to bring pressure on us, we have a choice to be refined or destroyed. See, when we're following Jesus, what what problems will do to us is it creates pressure in us where the things that aren't like Jesus are going to start to rise to the surface. So we have an opportunity to be refined and restored. But on the other hand, there's a lot of people I see who when the refining process starts, the first thing they do is they want to get out of the fire. They want to jump out. They're like, no, I'm good. And the problem is, if I spend my entire life running away from fire, I'm never going to be refined into the person that God wants to make me to be. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, This short time of distress will result in God's richest blessings on us forever and ever. So the first thing to remember is that I'm chosen by God whenever I'm discouraged. The second thing to remember is that even if I'm not where I want to be right now, God is working on me. I'm not finished yet. My God's not finished yet. 
The third thing to remember, the third thing to breathe in, the third thing to look at and focus our eyes on in those moments when we just don't feel like we can take another step forward is this, that God has secured my future. In verse 3 and 4, he says, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change or decay. Then in verse 8 and 9, he says, You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious and inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Jesus said to his disciples before he left, Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. Over and over throughout scripture, we see this theme of, listen, focus your eyes on what's coming. Because something amazing is coming. Heaven is coming. Everlasting life is coming for you. I don't know about you, but if you open up the Bible and you go to the end, I don't know if any of you ever do that, like in a book, like you start getting into a book a little bit and it starts to get a little crazy. You're wondering what's going to happen, so you just skip to the end of the book. Anybody ever do that? Okay, a couple of you. Thank you. Thank you. If you do that in the Bible, you're going to find out something really, really important. We win. Woo! We have to go spend eternity with Jesus. And so in the midst of all these things, what Peter is really reminding them of is that, listen, you may have things going on right here, but what I want you to focus on in this moment is the fact that your, secure, your future is secure, that God is preparing a place for you, that you get heaven. There's something more than this. There's something more than the things that you're seeing in front of you right now. And so he writes for them to be truly glad. He says, listen, rejoice in these moments because you know where you're going. And I think one of the problems for, for us so often is that in our world, all we start to see is the problems around us. All we start to see is what's directly in front of us. And we forget the fact that there's something beyond that, that we get eternity with Jesus. And sometimes there's moments that may suck right now, but eternity is going to be really, really awesome. I love the moment where the prophet Elijah is stuck in a moment where he is surrounded by the, these armies. And I just, I, I, I tell this story all the time because it just, I think it just so articulates what it's like to be human because his, his servant gets up there and he goes, listen, uh, we're in trouble. We got all these armies out here. We're going to die. And suddenly his boss turns and goes, it's okay, there's more, of, there's more with us than against us. And I, I mean, I just, I just can't imagine being that servant going, all right, whatever you're smoking, you need to share because this is stressful. But then he prays and says, God, open his eyes so he can see what I see. And he looks out and he sees the hills surrounding this army are just covered with angels. There's thousands and thousands of angels, and angels come and just take care of all these guys that are trying to kill them. And in the same way, there's moments in our life where we start to see this little dot that we call our life. And we start to see and we start to think, man, 
there's so much going on right now. There's so much that's wrong right now. But if you look at that dot in comparison with eternity, God's like, listen, if you just see the whole picture, I got something so much more for you. Even in the midst of this dot that you call your life, there's so many things where, where God is leading you and helping you and refining you. And, and we get moments where we think, oh my gosh, God, how could you possibly be working? And then suddenly we look back and we're like, oh wow, God was working in that. Oh my goodness. I have had so many moments in my life, the lowest points of my life, I have realized, were the moments that God was setting up for the highest points in my life. And so over and over again, we lose sight of the fact that God has a future for us. And so as we continue to dive into this book of 1 Peter and look at this encouragement that he has for people that feel like they're just aliens and strangers and just kind of floating out there in the wild, wild west, what I want to encourage for us today is that as we go through our life, as you go through your life and see people who are discouraged and hurting, as you go through discouragement in your life, I want you to continue to, to focus on and remember what the most important things in your life are. The fact is that God chose you, that God wants to have a relationship with you. If you've never started a relationship with him, he loves you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't just talk about how much he loves you. He truly wants to have a relationship with you, and he sent his son down to die on a cross for you. So that every sin, everything that's gone wrong in your life, God has said, listen, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to take it away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And in that, he promises that not only will I give you salvation, forgiveness for your sins, but I'm going to give you sanctification. My Holy Spirit is going to work on you to make you look more and more like my son. And finally, I am preparing a place for you. I'm going to give you heaven with me. I'm going to give you an eternity with me. And if you've never started that relationship with Jesus, I just want to encourage you. Or maybe today you might find that you started to veer off a little bit, that maybe you're not focusing on what's most important. And as you're trying to run and take your next breath, you've taken your eyes off the prize. So whether it's your first time or maybe today's just a moment of recommitment, I want to invite you to pray with me as we say, God, Help us not to focus on the things that we see around us. Help us not to put too much stock into what we deem important, but God, instead, let us make you the most important. Help us to fix our eyes on what our eyes truly should be fixed on today. And so, God, if any of us in this place today have never started a relationship with you, God, I pray that right now will be the moment that they just say, God, we want you to be our Lord and our Savior. We thank you that you chose us, God. We just want to accept that gift today. And God, I also pray that we, we also pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would work on us, make us into the person you want us to be. And God, in all of it, help us to make heaven our greatest and biggest focus. And God, thank you that in the midst of all things, you promise that you're working for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so, God, for anyone in this place today who may be discouraged, who might feel downtrodden, God, I pray that this would become their mantra, but also, God, that your Holy Spirit right now would give them a peace that surpasses all understanding, that they would be reminded of how much they are loved by you. God, you are awesome and amazing and incredible. We can't wait to see how you work through us. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Church, we're going to continue to worship our amazing, 
amazing God together. And then we're going to worship by gathering together in fellowship and having snacks together. But before we do that, I just want to invite you just to worship together. And if there's any way that we can pray for you or walk with you in an area, we're going to have people on either side that would love to do that with you. Love you, church.